Has it been a while since you flipped that thermostat from heat to cool? Turn to the experts at Griffith Energy Services before you do for an $88 AC start and check to make sure your AC is in tip-top shape. Griffith specializes in carrier, but services all brands. Visit GriffithEnergyServices.com today. Your local carrier expert. That's GriffithEnergyServices.com. License number MDHVACR01-2278. Griffith Energy Services. Doggone dependable. Introducing the s Podcast channel, your one-stop source for all types of podcasts. We are always on the look for new podcasts to join our channel. If there is any topic you would like to discuss, contact us now. We can be reached on all social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, and or Instagram. You can also contact us by email or leave us a voicemail at 516-570-9248. So make sure to contact us now so you can start your podcast soon. And now, Imperial Production presents... The most awesome podcast to ever embrace a pair of headphones, Sarasso and the Beard. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Sarasso and Jose the Talking Beard Rivera. And welcome to Sarasso and the Beard podcast, episode number 55. I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera. And I'm Nick Sarasso. And Nick, again, we are back after a some lengthy time off, you know, some busy times here in the summer i know you're enjoying the summertime i i hear you call it hot um hot sarasso summer <laughs> it's, it's, it's a play on the hot girl summer kind of thing except it's just you tanning in the sun oh yeah yeah you gotta have some summer vacation time baseball yeah, may not have an off season during the summer but most sports do and we took advantage of a nice little off year yeah i mean you know a lot of baseball going on i'm pretty sure we'll probably get to a baseball podcast at some point um, the NL wildcard race is heating up. The Mets, you know, you and I are both Mets fans, Nick. They're toying with our emotions constantly. So um, it's going to be an exciting race going down to the wire. And like we said, in the future, there will be a baseball podcast episode um, talking about the standings and going in more in-depth with the playoffs, especially as September rolls along. But what we're going to talk about today on today's podcast is the NFL. Why? Because preseason is just about wrapping up, which means it is time for football, Nick. And again, a lot, a lot of big storylines to watch here in 2019-2020 season. A lot of good teams that we have to keep our eyes out for. On this episode, we're going to give our picks for who is a lock to make the playoffs, as well as who is on the cusp, and who needs to start thinking for next year and next year's draft. That's going to be a little bit later on in the podcast. But first, we're going to start with the NFL headlines from around the last couple of weeks. And boy, has it been action-packed over the past couple of weeks, besides the preseason games here. Uh, Leading off with the biggest surprising news a couple of days ago, Andrew Luck. He announces that he is retiring from professional football. The news came out of nowhere, Nick, really. Um, What was your reaction to hear that Andrew Luck, at the age of 29, was retiring from football? I was shocked. And I was actually at a casino, and I was so hoping to put in a bet the moment I saw that, that he was gone, that the Colts would finish under and wins. That was the first thing I wanted to do is that, but I, I actually thought like people were pulling my leg immediately. I, I didn't think that he was actually retiring. And, you know, this is becoming more of a thing that we're seeing. Uh, guys retiring at an early age, at an earlier point in their career. And Andrew Luck becomes another one of those names of just pure stardom retiring very early and, you know, how, how do you blame a guy for that? You look at his injury list of everything that's gone on for him. 
the toll his body has taken. He, he's mentally drained from it all, and you, you could hear it in a press conference and certainly feel for him on that part. Uh, but ultimately, completely shocked that he's leaving the NFL because he is one of the best quarterbacks in the entire NFL. Yeah, I mean, it's really surprising. I even texted you that night and said, Andrew Luck retired. And, you know, you and I both kind of exchanged some thoughts, you know, you know what anybody's thinking. Like, I wonder what it was. Was it the injuries? You know, was it his mental health? Because, you know, we're hearing that be a big issue these days amongst football players, how a lot of football players are speaking out saying, you know, it's time to acknowledge athletes' mental health issues, right? Because think about it. It is very draining. And, yes, there's going to be people out there that say, well, they get they get paid millions. They know what they're signing up for. So what? It's still mentally draining to go out there and be an athlete, right? To practice 24-7, be away from your family, to know you have to show up every week and, you know, give it your all, especially on the football field where it's a, you know, once a week kind of thing. All the planning that goes into this one game in a week, it's a lot. And honestly, for Andrew Luck, you know, even though we're seeing players retire at a young age, Calvin Johnson, Rob Gronkowski, um, I'm drawing a blank on the young man's name from the 49ers who retired at, what, the age of 25, 26, the linebacker, because, you know, he read up on CTE and just decided that that's not a future that he wanted. Um, should it happen to him? No matter how many guys keep doing it, it's still very weird and surprising because it's just not something that we expect from people who are in their 20s or are in the primes of their career, right? Because Andrew Luck is still in the prime of his career. But like you said, Nick, Andrew Luck did not have the same career path as, let's say, an Aaron Rodgers, where Aaron Rodgers was on the field 90% of the time. Andrew Luck, a lot of injuries. And, you know, to put it into perspective, how many times have you had, I'm sure you've had an injury, Nick, or, you know, I know it's not the same thing, but when I got my wisdom teeth taken out, life was hell just trying to do normal things every day. So I can only imagine me being a giant baby about wisdom teeth removal. Now imagine a quarterback who has a lacerated kidney or a broken arm or a broken collarbone. Can you imagine trying to live your life with athletic injuries, in-depth, painful injuries that you suffer from playing sports? That to me cannot be easy. The rehabbing process can't be easy for that kind of stuff. So I, I don't blame an athlete for saying, you know what? It's been a long time. I'm happy with myself here. I'm healthy right now. Mentally, I can't take this rehabbing process anymore. So I totally understand when it's all said and done, but it doesn't change the fact that it's really, really, really surprising that Andrew Luck decided to call it a career. So now that Andrew Luck is no longer going to be playing football, is there someone to blame? Now, naturally, the first thing we do is we like to point fingers, right, as human beings. So Nick, do you think the Colts are at some kind of fault here for the lack of protection they provided uh, Andrew Luck, especially in the early years of his career? No. Um, yeah, the Colts weren't a good team when Andrew Luck joined. They, they were coming off of what? 1-16 or 0-16 right before Andrew Luck, right before the first round pitch? The team was terrible. They've had to build the team up, and that takes time of being a not really just of not being a good football team of needing a good draft class of needing the right GM of reading needing the right head coach needing the right player protection putting in the money to get the right players back that takes serious amount of time and especially on an NFL team it's not easy the patriots make it seem real easy every year but overall it's not easy 
there's no one to blame for Andrew Luck wanting to leave football. This isn't him going out and saying, I, I'm retiring because I don't like the organization, I don't like the owner, I don't like... The, no, he's not saying anything along those lines. He's saying he is just he can't handle it anymore. And who can blame him on the injury list that he has had? The the big thing about this is not the quarterback. Uh, it, it is not that he's a quarterback. It's that this is the first time we're hearing it from a quarterback. We don't expect guys to be injured as badly as Andrew Luck. We expect guys to have longevity like Tom Brady, Eli Manning, pocket passers. But that's not always the case. The running Some running mobile quarterbacks are much more sustained to injuries. Andrew Luck went through this his entire career, especially the last four years. It's tough to go through. And at the end of the day, I think every one can accept that he's he's had a lot of hell he's taken. Yeah, I certainly see both sides of it, right? I can understand people very being very upset because, you know, the Colts are supposed to protect their franchise QB. The O-line, that is their job, right? To protect the quarterback. However... Like you said, when Andrew Luck was drafted, this was a terrible team. Uh, this was a team that, you know, had the first overall pick for a reason, right? They tanked to go get Andrew Luck. And when you get your star franchise QB, you know, you don't just slap an O-line together overnight, right? And say, okay, protect my quarterback. Yes, it's taken a while. Yes, they finally made strides this past draft where they drafted Quentin Nelson. Um, you know, so I, I definitely get both sides. We should definitely look at the Colts and say, hey, you know— you know, you guys should have put a better O-line together, but I'm also not sentencing them for ending Andrew Luck's career, right? Because this can happen to anybody. Cam Newton has certainly taken a lot of hits, like you said, as a mobile quarterback. Uh, Eli Manning is constantly getting sacked with the terrible offensive line as he had for years. Um, you know, Andrew Luck has just had a certain set of injuries that has just not gone his way in his career. Um and you can blame the Colts. You can certainly find blame for that. But I don't think the Colts deserve, you know, this kind of, you know, all this negative attention that they're getting for ending Andrew Luck's career, right? They didn't end his career. You know, their actions um, led to injuries that, you know, helped make Andrew Luck's decision. But I don't think the Colts actually, you know, intended to end Andrew Luck's career. So I don't think they deserve full blame. Yeah, their medical staff isn't the Mets, so... Yeah, and, you know, Ray Ramirez is not working for the Colts. Come on. Uh, Ray Ramirez, wherever you are, we still hate you. And it's, not, it's nothing personal, but, I mean, nothing personal. Uh, the backlash towards Luck, Nick, I was a little bit surprised about, right? When he's walking off the field, Indianapolis Colts fans are booing him. Season ticket holders want their money back. You know, announcers, fans... People who like Andrew Luck are saying that he quit on his team. Do you understand this backlash that's, you know, that Andrew Luck is getting? Heat of the moment. I don't think anyone's saying it now. Um, I think that was just heat of the moment for players. You know, they're finding out Andrew Luck is on the sidelines and he's going to retire. And it's two weeks before the season starts. That, that's all I really will take it for. I'm going to give the fans the benefit of the doubt. They're not going to go in week one and boo Jacoby Brissett off the field. They're going to go into the season, realize it's going to be possibly a tough year from 
the idea of making a deep playoff run. But overall, the team is still pretty good. Let's not take away anything away from this team. They have a, one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. They have Marlon Mack, who did very well route running. On top of that, you have guys like T.Y. Hilton. You have the pieces around you. There's all this great parts. And then the head coach, an offensive genius at the end of the day. So I'm not going to count the Colts out. I I think they're an on-the-cusp team, a little spoiler, of getting to the playoffs. But they went from possibly like you know a guarantee to now they're going to be fighting for it for sure. And it's going to be a bit harder without a star quarterback. But this team is not done and out of it. At the end of the day, there's only like a handful of really good NFL teams. And especially in the AFC, it's much weaker. You win a couple games, you win a couple big games that you're supposed to, you can still make the playoffs in the AFC. See, I'm going to disagree with you on the fact that you're giving Colt fans benefit of the doubt. It's disgusting. It was terrible. They should be ashamed of themselves. I don't care what it is. Heat in a moment. I don't care if he would have retired mid-snap. You know, like, if the guy wants to retire, you let him retire, right? It got so bad, the backlash for Andrew Luck, that Rob Gronkowski had to come out and say why he retired. Because probably Rob Gronkowski felt like he had to explain himself, right? So people didn't think that he just quit and chased off an entertainment career. No, not at all. When players choose to retire, it's their decision, no matter what. No matter if they're 21, no matter if they're 29, no matter if they're 31 or 42. When Tom Brady retires, we're not going to sit here and question Tom Brady on why he retired. We're going to say congrats on a great long career, right? I get it. It's different. It's a couple weeks before the season starts. But Andrew Luck was clearly clearly emotional in this press conference this is one of these things where he's saying you know what i'm out guys like you said before he didn't say i'm done with ownership i hate Indianapolis. i'm gonna go chill on the yacht somewhere this guy was in tears explaining that he was going to retire from the nfl and you want to boo him no because if i see a guy at a podium crying about how he's going to retire that show me that shows me that he cares that's a guy that wanted to keep playing That, to me, is a guy that felt like he just couldn't handle it anymore, whether it was physically or mentally. That's a guy who played through injuries like a lacerated kidney. But no, all you can think about is yourselves and the money that you're spending at these games. By the way, Andrew Luck doesn't set ticket prices. You're getting mad at Andrew Luck for no reason, trying to get your money back for season tickets, right? And instead of, you know, like you said, the Colts lose Andrew Luck, that's a huge loss, right? And instead of, you know, coming to this team and showing support, showing support for Jacoby Brissett, who is now thrown into the starting role, you want your money back for season tickets. That, to me, is trash. That is a bad fan base. And the Colts deserve every sort – the Colts fans deserve every sort of backlash coming their way the next couple of weeks because, yeah, that was really terrible. You don't boo your guy. If the guy wants to leave, he wants to leave. Right. So and now, by the way, everybody that's saying, oh, you see, you guys let Peyton Manning walk away and he won a Super Bowl. and Andrew Luck didn't. 
just to get the record straight, Peyton Manning won that Super Bowl because Denver's defense was a beast. Not because Peyton Manning, you know, threw like Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite and was throwing it to the mountains collecting a Super Bowl ring, okay? The defense won that Super Bowl for the Denver Broncos. So, Nick, uh, you kind of gave it away a little bit. I was going to ask you, does the Colts' chances of making the playoffs take a hit without Andrew Luck? You still seem to think that they're on the cusp. I, I mean, absolutely, it takes a hit. That, that's the easiest answer of all time. Like, Yeah, yeah, it's going to take a hit, clearly. Uh, is it over? No, not, not at all. I was trying to go through a little bit of the Colts' schedule and see what they would have to go up against this season because it's too challenging to try and memorize all the teams in the NFL schedule. But, you know, you look at it and say, okay, they do have some still easy matchups early on. They're home against Denver, Miami, and Jacksonville, three out of their first five games. You you can still win a lot of those games. You can still start the season off three and two with still Houston and Pittsburgh. Uh, but oh, you're playing Tampa as a, a road matchup this season. Uh, Carolina, depending on Tam Newton, it's much later on in the year, but you don't know how that's going to go. Uh, you know, earlier in the season, it's the Chargers, Titans, Falcons, Raiders are a, a home game against. They have good matchups. So if they can get to the bye week, there's first five weeks of the season, there's a couple tough teams out there. But even at two and three, or or three and two, if they can somehow like beat Atlanta, Atlanta's a road team in that one, but it's going to still be a dome. Um, you know, two and three, three and two, they could easily be halfway through the season at five hundred, and, and then it's just a matter of you need one or two wins at the end of it all to fa- uh, fall to you. So I think this is easy. It, it's easier said than done, obviously, but five hundred by week ten, going four and two at the end, you you can look at like a nine and seven schedule and probably sneak in at that point. So they they have the options. The, the schedule is not too uh, hard for them. They still play Tennessee and Jacksonville twice each. They can get it done. Yeah, I mean, does it take a hit? Yes, right? Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Jacoby Brissett is not Andrew Luck. Right? Let's just point you know, point blank. But Let's highlight what we do know about Jacoby Brissett. Yes, he asks some questionable things on Twitter. I don't know if you've seen some of his tweets. They're actually pretty funny. Um, But what we do know is that this guy took the ball, what, two games for the Patriots? And actually won those games? And yes, you can point that it was Bill Belichick. But at the end of the day, Brissett still won those games when Brady was out. So you bring in a guy who has experience playing in some important games for New England and you add that winning attitude to here. Like you said, they still have good receivers in T.Y. Hilton. They still have a great defense. Uh, and the offensive line is getting better. You know, poor timing. But when it's all said and done, it's still getting better to protect Brissett. So they definitely still have a shot. I think they play in a very favorable division. I always feel like this division produces a 7-9 and nine playoff team no matter what. Right? No matter how well these teams um make additions in the in the offseason. Um, so I don't want to give away too many spoilers in terms of if they're on the cusp or if they, sh- they should think of next season. But I do think they go from being a guarantee to someplace else on my list um, for sure. Only, and, only six teams in the AFC won 10 games last season. If 10 is your mark, eight of them are against twice Tennessee, twice uh, Jacksonville, Denver, Oakland, 
Tampa and Miami is eight of those games. You, you win about seven of them, six of them. You just got to go four and four against the better teams. Split with Houston. Maybe steal from either Atlanta or Pittsburgh. Maybe Carolina is not as good by the end of the season and Cam Newton's not healthy. You conclude that's in maybe nine. There's certainly ways for Indianapolis to get this done. So, before we move on from the whole Andrew Luck saga, you know, Andrew Luck made it clear that he doesn't want to play football right now. A lot of people think, though, get your tinfoil hat out, right? Um, His dad is the CEO of the XFL. Um, Maybe Andrew Luck goes to play there instead. Do you think Andrew Luck is done with football, or do we see him in the XFL, or do we see him take a couple of years off and maybe decide to return to the NFL? What do you think, Nick? You think this is it? This is it. That's it. Uh, you know, a decision like this is real tough, but the basic way to put it is Rob Gronkowski is not coming back. Calvin Johnson is not coming back. Andrew Luck is not coming back. This was a decision that was weighing his mind probably for a long time. And I don't think this ankle calf injury was it for him. I think this is just his body, his mental state just took too much. And at the end of the day, you know, it's not easy. It is not easy to expect to say, you know, I can go through what Andrew Luck goes through, be one of the best players in the NFL, and be totally fine to come out the next year. So, absolutely not. We we constantly hear about superstars killing it out there, and just their bodies are worn out. It's not worth it sometimes at the end of the day. Some guys have retired just because it wasn't worth coming back. Uh, you know, it's the same for Andrew Luck. He, he's had a great career. He, he, when he was on the field, was one of the best players in the NFL. But injuries take their toll. Mental state is more important than being out there on the field. Yeah, I, I think he's done. Um, to me, if he were to go to the XFL, I think that really makes him look bad. And I just don't think Andrew Luck is that kind of person that's trying to spite the NFL um, for some reason. I think if he was younger... There might be a chance that he takes a couple years off and comes back. Um, maybe he regroups in a year, and maybe he comes back to the NFL, but I highly doubt it. This looks like a guy that was pretty sold on the decision that he's packing it in um, and going home. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with that. You want to take care of yourself? Your health and your mental health is the first priority when it comes to anything. So if Andrew Luck is not happy with what he's doing right now, he has every right to go around and change that. So I also agree with you. I think he's done. I think he has nothing to gain from going to a different league as in the XFL. Um, I think it'll just make him look worse as a person if he did that. Um, so, Especially since all, the Colts gave him $24 million. Yeah, and, uh, and, you know, and they're not taking any of it back. So when it's all said and done, I think Andrew Luck is just done with football um, when it's all said and done. Moving on now to a guy you mentioned earlier, Cam Newton. He got injured in week three of the preseason. Uh, He is in a walking boot. However, he was throwing at practice. Ron Rivera, 
coach of the Panthers, said that he wasn't driving off his leg. He was kind of just long tossing. But there is no doubt that he will play week one. Um, This is a constant revisited topic for us on any show, whether it's on the podcast or on our old radio shows here, Nick. Is shortening the preseason a good idea? Is it worth a guy like Cam Newton going out there for four meaningless games and risk hurting himself for the start of the season? And not just Cam Newton, but anybody for that matter. Is it worth it? Absolutely not. Does the NFL need to shorten the preseason? No. The preseason should not matter. At the end of the day, no quarterback should be playing in the preseason. Simple as that. You you want to play quarterback in the preseason? I'll give you what he does. Paul's hike, hands the ball off to the running back. Go sit on the sidelines. You did all your job. That's it. No, you, you practice with your team all the time. Playing sit snaps in a preseason meaningless football game that does not matter at all will not help you. Will not get you NFL ready. We have seen constantly players sit out the preseason. Adrian Peterson used to sit out the preseason every year, and he still was one of the most dominant running backs for his entire career up until, like, what, a couple of years ago when he's fallen off a bit? But he's still been good. He doesn't play in the preseason. Le'Veon Bell hasn't played in, like, a year and a half. But players should not be playing in the preseason. On top of that, we see this all the time. Uh, How many times do we talk about players where they don't go to the practice meetings, these mandatory practice meetings, or these optional practice meetings. Tom Brady didn't go, Odell Beckham didn't go, Le'Veon Bell doesn't go, and all this other stuff. And, you know, we say, oh, they should be there and everything, but they don't have to be there. They shouldn't be there. They shouldn't be putting extra problems on themselves with that. The, The preseason is meaningless. Sorry, it's not worth playing a single snap. It's not even worth suiting up. It's for the other 20 guys on the lineup that haven't played. Yeah, honestly, I go back and forth about this because, you know, I hate the preseason. I think it's boring. I think it's drawn out. Um, I don't need four games to watch guys, like you said, call hike and hand it off to the running back. Um, But at the same time, I think it's great for guys who are trying to make the roster, right? Prove that you can help this team in game situations. But do we need four games to do that? Can we do that in two? You know, like you said, I understand, you know, you, you play in practice. The practice is where it matters the most. But you do need some real game situations. And, you know, you can play an inter-squad game between your defense and your offense. But you're not going to get the same game fuel as you would a regular game. However, so many non-regulars play in the preseason. Like you said, some guys are only playing a couple drives that it makes it meaningless to me to go out there and have them play four meaningless preseason games. I'm all in favor for shortening the preseason. I'm all in favor of getting rid of the preseason. But if we have to give preseason games, I'm cutting it down to two. Um, Because when it's all said and done, I think there are guys on teams that need to prove themselves, and they can do a great job by making the team by showing what they got in a preseason game. But I don't need four games to do that. I can do it in two and a bunch of practice games as well, too. So I'm, I'm all for shortening the preseason because, you know, it's not just Cam Newton. You know, if, if, if Aaron Rodgers goes out there and gets hurt, 
you know, we're all up in arms about it, right? Because Aaron Rodgers got hurt in meaningless football games. So but, why not shorten it? But we're not when, like, a couple of years back, O.C.O. Minyar of the Giants. I've, I think Julian Edelman has lost an entire season because of it. Jordy Nelson. Didn't he lose a season because of week three of, like, a preseason? It, it's yeah. always week three. You want to know why it's always week three? Because none of them play week four, but all of them play an extra couple minutes in week three. That That's... It it just shows you, like, there's a consistency to this. It's not always the first week that everyone's hurt. Nobody's on the field the first week. And it's never week four because no one's on the field week four. It's always week three because yeah, that's Lamar when they Miller, play them. That, that, Lamar Miller tears his ACL. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it worked out for me. I have Duke Johnson now. But I, I'm so worried about the Drake possible trade. But, you know, it doesn't matter preseason is not where you're going to you know it's great you go 4-0 and in the preseason who cares can't even tell you who's won a actual game in the preseason this year because i don't watch it when we get to the fourth quarter nobody should be watching it it's not going to be entertaining it shouldn't be viewed as entertaining you're missing your daniel jones highlights I'm going to stay quiet on that one. <laughs> <laughs> moving on. Uh, moving on to some Texans news. You just mentioned uh, um, Lamar Miller and Duke Johnson. Jadavian Clowney has yet to sign his franchise tag with the Houston Texans. Um, obviously wants a long-term deal. I found this interesting, though. He met with the Miami Dolphins. He met with the head coach, Brian Flores. Uh, like we said, is yet to sign a franchise tag. The Texans do like the offensive lineman for the Miami Dolphins, Laremi Tunsil. For you guys, for all you guys who don't know who Laremi Tunsil is off the top of your head, it's the guy that was caught on video smoking weed out of a bong um, whose draft stock plummeted him from the first overall pick potentially to the 13th overall pick. So huge draft implications there apparently. Oh, that wasn't but, a bong. That was a gas mask. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, he was... It was still one of the greatest pitchers I've seen for... Well, unfortunately not for Tunsil in that moment. Um, but the point is that the Texans are highly doubtful that the Dolphins would part ways with Tunsil. My main thing is here, Nick, is can you believe a trade might actually happen in terms of the Texans trading away Clowney? I mean, we're talking about a cognate key guy on their defense. Yes, I can believe it. Um, and here's why, at the end of the day, Miami wants to try and get rid of their top money players on their team. Uh, the, I've heard rumors it's, what, Ken, uh, Kenyon Drake and Kenny Stills for Clowney. It's not a bad move. Uh, at the end of the day, it helps the Tetsons out if they have the money to put down for a few extra pieces. If they want to add offensive line help for Clowney by all means and Houston shouldn't look to lock up Clowney as good as he's been you have all this money locked into J.J. Watt who sometimes can or cannot stay healthy Clowney's been the same point on their seasons where he's very healthy and very dominant and then there's other points where he's hurt and you're putting a lot of money guaranteed on those two positions when you still have to think about the future, which is Deshaun Watson. 
That's more important on locking up than anybody else at the end of the day. So I can I, this works out for both teams if this is a trade. It doesn't always work out for Nick's fantasy teams. But that being said, it's one I would really consider if I'm Houston. You don't really need all the defense in the world, uh, especially when you just see Andrew Luck is gone. You're pretty much going to have the division. It's yours to lose at this point. You should run away with it. There shouldn't be any team stopping you this year from the AFC South. Uh, it is a matter of building all the right pieces going the rest of the way this year. And some extra running back help might not be the worst thing. Some extra projection for Deshaun Watson might not be the worst option. Uh, extra wide receiver help because after DeAndre Hopkins, it is a little bit of a drop to the next best guy. I think it's Kiki Kote, and he's a little bit injured and questionable for week one. So you don't want that being your main concerns of, yes, you have Hopkins, yes, you have Watson, but you have nothing else around you. And you're supposed to be a top contender this year. See, I'm very hesitant because you said, like just as you said, you said that no one will stop you in the South. My question is what happens when they get out of the South? What happens when they face the Patriots? What happens when they face Pittsburgh? What happens when they face these teams in crunch time come playoff time, right? Defense is a big reason why teams win championships. And I'm sorry, but J.J. Watt, as much as I love the guy, not always the healthiest guy on the field. To me, I know Clowney has had his injuries in the beginning of his career, but he's played a lot of games over the past two years. I believe he only missed one game in the past two seasons. They don't have the insurance if a guy like J.J. Watt misses time again. Every single year, J.J. Watt gets hurt for a different reason. So to me, I mean, would it make sense to trade Clowney? Yes, because if he wants too much money, like you said, you'd rather have the money to tie up Hopkins or a Watson or right now, you know, they need the need, right? Lamar Miller goes down. They need a running back. There's no other number two wide receiver after Hopkins. So, yes, they do have needs. But at the end of the day, you're trading away a really good all-star defender when your main guy in J.J. Watt is not exactly the most healthiest guy on the team. So if you're the Texans, you have to be really cautious here and make sure that what you're getting back is worth trading away a huge safety net especially when J.J. Watt is not the most healthiest guy on the team. Moving on now to the Washington team. Uh, Case Keenum is named a starter for Washington. Dwayne Haskins hasn't looked that great in the preseason, but then again, it's the preseason. Who cares? Um, Nick, to me, this was a no-brainer that Keenum was going to get the starting job. I know people said that there was a competition. To me, I don't think there was a competition. Were you shocked? And also... How long do you think until Haskins actually becomes a starter of this team? Uh, you know, becomes a starter is going to be real tough. Was I shocked? Absolutely not. Case Keenum, two years ago, had the second highest completion percentage in the NFL just behind Drew Brees. He was one of the best quarterbacks two years ago for the Minnesota Vikings. No, I'm not going to be shocked that he beats out a rookie. <laughs> that's that's probably the easiest thing he can do at the moment. Uh, you know, it's going to be tough. When we look at the rookies, we're expecting all these guys to go crazy. We're expecting 
the Andrew Lutz. We're expecting Carson Wentz. We're expecting Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh. No, at the end of the day, Dwayne Haskins, Daniel Jones, Kyler Murray. I don't think any one of those three were going to be better than any of the rookies last year. You could have made the case for Lamar Jackson that maybe one or two of these guys are better than Lamar, but Lamar was pretty much a runner-up and a Heisman guy. And he also played very well helping Baltimore win games last season late in the year. Uh, no, we, sh- we shouldn't be expecting the rookie class of this year to excel right off the bat. I don't think they're that great to begin with. Um, will he get the reins? Of course, because at the end of the day, when you're a first-round quarterback, you are expected to be the starter. You are not going to turn into like Trevor Simeon. And I don't even remember the other guy. What was it, Patston? Patston Lynch or something? Patston um, Lynch. Was I even right? Look at that. Yep. Yeah, this isn't going to turn into that. Or at least you hope it doesn't at the end of the day. But that's a worst-case scenario. At the end, Washington's going to throw with Case Keenum until Case Keenum either can't perform or they expect Hoskins to perform really well or they're completely out of the playoffs and then want to go with to see what the future holds. But for now, I expect it to be Case Keenum and Adrian Peterson. From there in the future, it's going to be Haskins and Dice. You know, I feel like we've gotten really spoiled as of late, right? We have some oh, of yeah. these QBs, they come out of they come out of college and they're just straight lightning, right? They come into the NFL, they're throwing these long, you know, deep touchdowns, they're winning games, guys like Deshaun Watson burst onto the scene. This draft class, they didn't have any of those guys, right? If anything, this was the draft class where it was year of the clipboard, right? Because a lot of these guys, you're going to give the clipboard to, right? Kyler Murray will probably start in Arizona, but that's only because they don't have any other legit options, right? And Cliff Kingsbury really wants to put a stamp on this whole new innovative offense. Is that the smartest idea? I don't think so. I would make Murray hold the clipboard until they get more pieces in there. But you know they're going to make him start. So, move on to the next one. Dwayne Haskins. Do I think he'll be a good quarterback in the NFL? Yeah, I think so. Just not this year. Daniel Jones. Obviously, he's not starting over Eli Manning. You know, so I feel like this was the year of the clipboard quarterbacks where they're not going to start right now. So nobody should be surprised if none of these guys get the ball come week one. Uh, I mean, I would be slightly surprised if Murray wasn't starting, but that's just because of all the hype that goes into him being the number one pick. So people really shouldn't expect that. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised, Nick, if Haskins doesn't get start at all this year. Case Keenum is a guy who, like you said, was a folk hero and kind of led the Minnesota Vikings down to a playoff stretch and then kind of got exiled for a better QB and then went to Denver, got exiled there because they got Joe Flacco instead. So I expect Case Keenum to be very motivated here because I feel like a lot of people are going to think of him as an afterthought, right? They're going to think of him as, oh, he's the guy that when you don't have a real QB, you put him in. So if I'm Case Keenum, I'm motivated to keep Dwayne Haskins on the bench because one, you know the fan base is going to want Haskins. Why? Because that's just how it is. Fans want the rookie QB. Look at Giants fans. Giant fans hated Daniel Jones. Now everybody wants him to start because he threw a couple pretty passes in the preseason, right, over Eli Manning because fans want that. They want that fresh blood in there. Same thing for Jets fans. When McCowan was starting, they wanted Darnold to be in there, and Darnold eventually got his shot. But nobody wants to see the veteran QB when you have a young, potential electric quarterback on the bench. So fans are going to be yelling for Haskins to start. 
but it's a smart move to put Keenum. Give Keenum a chance. Let him be the veteran stopgap that he's supposed to be. And there's no rush. You put Haskins in when he's ready. Because honestly, is Washington beating Philadelphia this year? They're not. Is Dallas better than Washington? For sure. So I just, and we'll get to this in a second when we talk about the cusp and the locks for to make the playoffs. I don't think Washington's in a position to start their young QB, especially when they still have a lot of other holes on this team as well, too. So I'm not surprised. And if I'm the, if I'm the Washington team, I'm keeping Haskins on the bench until I'm ready to move him forward. Now let's talk about the biggest issue of the NFL so far, the holdouts. Two players, well, not really. There's been a couple holdouts so far, but the two main players that certainly will affect all draft choices and stuff are the two running backs, two star running backs, Melvin Gordon and Ezekiel Elliott still on their respective holdouts. The Chargers seem very content with not paying Melvin Gordon at all. You've heard Philip Rivers speak out about it. They have plenty of options when it's all said and done. They have the depth for if they want to move on without Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon, a free agent at the end of the year. Now on the other side, you have Ezekiel Elliott. Jerry Jones has been very you know, clear that he doesn't want to reset the market for not just Ezekiel Elliott, but when it comes to Dak Prescott and Amari Cooper as well, saying he wants to keep these young guys together. But basically Jerry Jones is trying to say by overpaying one of them, that might not be a possibility. Zeke still has two years left on his deal. So, Nick, before we get into talking about these two guys, because Le'Veon Bell set out all year last year, and we went back and forth saying, how is this going to affect him in free agency? The Jets paid the man. Le'Veon Bell got his money, and he set out the entire year. So let's start with the Le'Veon Bell factor first. How much do you think the success of Bell's holdout impacts players who are thinking about holding out? It's not about the success there. It's about the requirement. When the NFL Players Association created their new deal, what they basically did is they screwed rookies. And the players that they mostly screwed was running backs. This is all this is. At the end of the day, if you want to blame any group for this, it's that. It's the Players Association. When they took out the new uh, deals for it, and they were like, okay, you can hold on to rookies for another year type thing, uh, uh, and, and it changed it all, basically, by doing so. It basically made running bats obsolete because we know the numbers and the numbers show us everything. It's when running bats are taking so many hits, have so many carries on their career, have so many times that they've run the ball, they do not stay healthy. They do not put up good numbers afterwards. They are terrible afterwards. One of the big stats is over 300. If you've touched the ball over 300 times the year prior, your chances of actually having a very good year are pitiful the following year. And it basically is why would any owner or team like want to re-sign a running back where you can go to the draft, you can get a running back, 
You can put your money on an offensive line and see the success when a good offensive line is able to protect your star quarterback and give you space for your running back who can succeed at the end of the day, whether he's a first-rounder or a fourth-rounder, through an open hole. Why do you have to put money into the running back position? You don't. This is how running backs have to do it. This is how they are going to be able to make their money. When you see guys like Le'Veon Bell, Melvin Gordon, and now Elliott sit out an entire year and say no, because if you want me for all these years that you can have me without having to pay me, it's not going to happen. And if I have to wait an extra year or two, I'm going to be just as good, just as healthy, if not healthier, and I'm going to actually get paid at this point. That's what they're going to have to do nowadays. Till a different change is made for their contract purposes, there's no way to do it. Because they will never get the money that they're going to want. If they have all these carries, all these yards, all these hits that they've taken on their body, no team is going to want them. They're going to red flag them immediately. Right. But I think a big part of that has to do with Le'Veon Bell's success, right? Because... No one really wanted to do what Bell was doing, right? You know, you you know, Earl Thomas tried to do something similar, felt like he had to come back. Eventually he did. He breaks his leg. Le'Veon Bell goes out there and says, This is why I'm doing this. I'm doing it for everyone, right? Le'Veon Bell was the sacrificial lamb. Because if the Jets don't pay Le'Veon Bell and Le'Veon Bell is just sitting there, sitting at home, I bet you no other players are gonna hold out like Le'Veon Bell did. The fact that Le'Veon Bell went out there, held out didn't play the entire season, and yet there was still a team like the Jets waiting for him, willing to give him that money, allows guys like Melvin Gordon to be like, hey, I'm fine. There's going to be a team that's going to pay me. And that's probably easier to say when you're you know, a premier running back like a Melvin Gordon or like Le'Veon Bell. But even if you're not, it has to feel good knowing that there's going to be a team that will give you a shot. Most so likely, I, at the end of the day, there will be a team that gives you a shot. I wouldn't call Le'Veon Bell the sacrificial lamb here. I would almost call it like when LeBron James signed with Miami, no one realized that could be an option. No one realized in the NBA, if you're a star, star, star player, you can leave your team. Because that wasn't an option. The closest thing we had to that as an option was Shaq. But Shaq like, ran himself out of wanting to be in Orlando and then had too many issues with Kobe Bryant that he brought him to Miami. That was the closest thing to it, but it wasn't until free agency where it was, okay, we can pick where we want to go. We, we can not be with the team that we have to originally be with. And it gave the NBA options. And now we see that with most teams where I think like Steph Curry is the longest active tended player on any one team. So that that's what Le'Veon Bell really did. He provided this opportunity and showed that this is an option to get a contract. It, it's not going to be an easy way to go, but this is an option to take at the end of the day because you have 300 less carries under your belt. You have 300 less hits you've taken under your belt. And you still have shown that you have been a star in the league. 
And this is what team, this is what running backs are going to have to do. This is what Melvin Gordon needs to do this year. Because he's not going to get paid by the Chargers, and it's not worth going this entire year getting injured. Because if he turns out like Todd Gurley, would he ever get a contract like Todd Gurley has right now? No. Right. But if Le'Veon Bell doesn't get signed by the Jets and he's still a free agent, is Melvin Gordon doing this? If he's still a free agent, I don't know. But I don't think he's... No, the answer is no, he's not. Because a player is not going to risk giving away his contract if he knows it's not going to work. If Le'Veon Bell doesn't get signed by the Jets, or if Le'Veon Bell gets signed to a chump change contract because he just needs money at that point to survive or to go play and get paid, no one is following suit. Melvin Gordon's not saying, okay, I can do this too. Because if Levy, if it didn't happen to Le'Veon Bell, it's not going to happen to Melvin Gordon. But I don't think anybody expected Le'Veon Bell to become Colin Kaepernick too. I think everyone expected Le'Veon Bell to either be signed by the Steelers. Well, certainly not, but there was a small chance though. There was a small chance that all the teams could be like, okay, well, you know what? We don't want to sign you because you're not a team player at this point, right? Because some people might look at that as a selfish thing to do. I, I think... Also, Le'Veon Bell's instance, though, it had its own problem because the idea, I think, for Le'Veon Bell was to always go back to Pittsburgh. And that became obviously clear it was never going to happen the moment James Conner came. And James Conner, again, this proves the exact also problem for running backs is that someone can take their place immediately and show success. And that's that's the true thing about the running backs and why you don't need to put contracts into them. Le'Veon Bell leaves, you mat, you give him a huge contract with the Jets. But what did Pittsburgh get? They replaced him with James Conner. We'll try again on another one. Kareem Hunt. Obviously, I'm not going to go into his whole issues. But Kareem Hunt was one of the best running backs last season. One of the best running backs for his rookie year also. Replaced like this. Damian Williams is considered a huge threat. And Andy Reid loves his new fourth-round running back as a huge possibility in Thompson. Carlos Hyde, the, the, the Browns signed Carlos Hyde to what was, I thought, an insane move to make. And what happened? A few weeks in, he was done. Nick Chubb took over their first-round pick. That they did, uh, their second-round first pick. We can go through every team, and we can prove this point at the end of the day. And the same is going to happen to Saquon Barkley. I won. I would bet everything that this comes down to Barkley again. It's going to go for him too. It's going to be every young top guy. Barkley and Chubb will be next in line. There's no stopping this. Because right, this but is because how the Le'Veon Bell was successful, it's going to give them more confidence to do so. Was he, though? Was he not successful? I'm sorry, did he not get a three-year, over $50 million contract for the New York Jets after sitting out an entire season? Did he run into the perfect team? Was the Jets the only team that fits that perfectly? No, any team could have signed Le'Veon Bell. Any team that doesn't already have a running back to it. Yeah, but this is a two-running back league. I mean, I mean that's yeah. an entirely different discussion. But you it, could have more than one running back. It certainly is a two-running back league. The most teams, you can say 1A, 1B, and it's real tough in fantasy football what to review some of these guys. Uh, but 
Le'Veon Bell's situation with the New York Jets, a team that has no running back help, a team that really doesn't have any wide receiver help, and has a young sophomore quarterback that's not expensive to pay, that has years under control, that you don't have to pay much to. You can throw extra money to a running back. This was the only key team that this works to. How many fit the bill that season? And the answer is not many. Buffalo becomes, I think, one of those teams next year as fitting the bill for this. But when you go down the list of teams that actually go for this, there's not many. So Melvin Gordon is doing this for Buffalo. Because that's the only team that fits for Well, when it's all said and done, which team should pay up? Which team, in your opinion, has to pay up? Is it the Chargers, the Cowboys, or both? Uh, You'd love to say both at the end of the day. Which team really should? Neither? Or needs to is probably a better word. you, You can make the case that both should and both shouldn't. It's so tough to go on this route because... As an owner of the team, you shouldn't pay a running back. That's just clear as day, easiest thing to make. You shouldn't pay a running back. You shouldn't waste a first-round draft pick on a running back, and you shouldn't pay a running back. But for the Chargers and Cowboys, they're both playoff potential teams. For the Chargers, they have Super Bowl potential as a team. Callis certainly has playoff potential. I'd love to say they have Super Bowl potential also. Um, So it's tough because if you're in the win-now moment that they can go all the way, you certainly don't want to have any missing pieces to your squad. And there's certainly the reason to pay both of them because of that. But if this was like Miami right now, absolutely not. Don't pay them a cent. So there's both ways. There's both sides of the coin on this. You can make the case for a reason to it, and you can make your case not to. If both teams think that they can still make it to the Super Bowl, still make it to the playoffs without their star running bats, by all means, don't pay them at all. But do you think there's a team that needs to pay one? No. No. You know, Pollard I kind of like. Eckler I think is very good. He did struggle at the end of last season. Uh, with his yards per carry, but before that it was 4.6 when he was getting a mid-roll. Um, Pollard, we've seen Alfred Morris at, have tremendous success in those times where Ezekiel was suspended for six games because of that offensive line. There's no reason either team needs to. I'm going to go with the Cowboys on this. Like you said, I think the Chargers have tremendous depth, right? They have Eckler. Um, they have options, and that's why this, to me, this doesn't work for Melvin Gordon. I think Melvin Gordon can sit out and get paid by somebody else, fine, no problem. But if he thinks the Chargers are going to give in, I don't think it's going to happen. They have options. They have a talented quarterback who has some good wide receivers, too. They have a great young defense. This is a team that can still be Super Bowl contenders, even without Melvin Gordon, and I firmly believe that. Because they have the options, they have the depth, they have all these moving pieces. Melvin Gordon should be jumping on this train to try and see if they can make a Super Bowl run because their chances are even better when Gordon is there. But they certainly definitely are a threat when it's all said and done. Secondly, 
I don't think the Cowboys need to either because, you know, like you said, Zeke has two years left on this deal. And that's the, that's the biggest thing here, right? Is what is Ezekiel Elliott going to do? Because if he doesn't get paid, he's under contract for two years. Is he going to sit out for two years or is he just not going to come to training camp? There is still a huge question mark on what exactly is Ezekiel Elliott going to do. But if we're going to talk about who needs to pay their quarterback, uh, their running back, to me, it's the Cowboys. Why? Because, yeah, Alfred Morris is good. He's great behind that offensive line. But six games is not 16, Nick. There's no way Alfred Morris replicates what Ezekiel Elliott can give you. And we've seen what happens when Dak Prescott plays by himself and when Ezekiel Elliott is not there. Dak Prescott is only as good as when Ezekiel Elliott is on the field. I don't care that he has Amari Cooper. Dak Prescott, to me, is not a $40 million quarterback. He's not even a $30 million quarterback. He is not better than Russell Wilson. He is not the top five QB in the league. I don't even know if he's top 10, honestly, when it's all said and done. But to me, the Cowboys thrive when Ezekiel Elliott is on that field. So when it's all said and done, Ezekiel Elliott needs to be on the football field for the Cowboys to even think about being Super Bowl contenders. That's just me, though. But again, it's pretty dicey because when it's all said and done, Ezekiel Elliott has two years left. So the Cowboys don't need to pay him, but I feel like they should pay him. So, Nick, who's more likely to play this season? Is it Zeke because he has two years left? Or do you think Gordon has a chance to come back before Zeke does? I certainly think it's Zeke has a better chance of coming back. Uh, when you look at it, uh, Gordon's on a one-year contract. There's they're, they're nowhere near contract extension talks. They're, this is unlikely to ever occur this year. And I think this is one of those ones where the Chargers are going to be waiting and see. And if Eckler and Justin Jackson play really good for the Chargers, there's no reason to bring them back. If they struggle, they'll figure something out. Uh, but for Zeke, it's two years. This is a core you want to group together. Uh, I think you can still have plenty of success through Pollard. Uh, but at the end of the day, this is a Dallas Cowboys team that is stuck by Ezekiel Elliott through all of the somewhat messy situations that Elliott has had at times. There's no reason why they wouldn't want to continue. Yeah, I think I think the logical answer is Zeke, and I don't know how you can choose Gordon over Zeke here for this question. The guy has two years left in his contract. I know we keep saying that, but honestly, that is the big difference between the two because Gordon can sit at home, and like you said, if these two guys get off to a hot start for the Chargers, Chargers don't need Melvin Gordon. And even if they get off to a slow start, I don't think the Chargers give in. I think the Chargers just say, well, it's only week one. It's only week two. It's only week three. Now, if it's like week seven, week eight, and the running game is still struggling, I think maybe they knock on Melvin Gordon's door. But I think Ezekiel Elliott is there for week one. I mean, how can you not? Is he really going to sit out for two weeks? I mean, not two weeks, for two years? It's just not going to happen in my eyes. Um, So I think who is more likely to play this season? It's most likely going to be Ezekiel Elliott. Last bit of news here for the NFL. Antonio Brown off to a hot start with the Raiders. Insert sarcasm here. Multiple grievances over his use of his helmet. He wants to use his old helmet. NFL wants him to use a new one. He has frostbite issues with his feet in a gross and explaining way in which he explained it. I still don't fully understand it. The GM is calling him out saying that he needs to decide if he's all in or not. Oakland paid him a crap ton of money. Is Oakland regretting the decision of getting Antonio Brown in the end? Eh, Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) (laughs) 
He hasn't played yet. How, how do you regret someone that hasn't touched the field? I get it. You want to be more involved, but until this affects the regular season, I can't say this is a bad move. I can't say it's a good move because it's certainly not that. You you brought in a player that only cared about one thing, money. And who's not really caring about the team in that scenario. But that can all change the moment he actually gets on the field. So I can't say this is ultimately the worst decision Oakland has ever done. Oakland has created a TV show by everyone that they have on their team already. That's what they've got. But I can't judge it till he's on the field or off the field from week one. Let me ask you, Nick. Are the Raiders making the playoffs this year? Let me ask for that that, that sneak no. preview of your prediction. No, no, no. right? No, they, are they making they, it the they year are after? Out. Are they making it the year after? They could. Really? They, they have better pieces offensively this year. They lost a lot of defensive assets. The draft, I think, was a mess for them overall this year. I don't think they have enough pieces to actually fully contend. Right. Three um, first-round picks, and they made a mess this year. Repeat that for me. Three first-round picks, and their draft was a mess. Yeah. A chance to draft three. Because this draft, I feel like, was very defensive-heavy. You can make that argument. But this draft also wasn't, like, going to save them. No, it wasn't. But it can still build for the future. Because to me, the Raiders are not making the playoffs this year. I don't even have them making the playoffs next year right now when it's all said and done. Yeah, I get that we have to wait and see, but to bring Antonio Brown in when I'm not even sold that Jay Gruden wants Derek Carr as their QB. So you're bringing in a wide receiver to work with a quarterback who may not even be around in the long term for the Oakland Raiders. Remember, this is a guy who who Gruden was loved Kyler Murray, right? That was all the talk was that they were going to trade Derek Carr. To me, you gave a bunch of money to a reality TV star who, one, I question if he wants to play football as serious as he once was. And you know who's laughing their asses off right now? The Pittsburgh Steelers. Right? The Steelers, they don't need to put up with this anymore. All this talk about... I mean, they were a mess. They don't have to deal with this anymore, though, right? They're making the playoffs. I have them as a lock. Well, no, maybe not a lock, but Pittsburgh... Is going to be in contention. You know who's not? Antonio Brown and the Raiders. What would you rather have, Nick? Would you rather have a contending team or a reality TV show? Depends. What's Vegas no, going to watch? No, it not depends. You, What's Vegas going to be watching? <laughs> it's about football. It's about wins and losses. I don't know that you win more games than you did last year with Antonio Brown. Maybe you win one or two. But to me, that's not worth bringing in a, a headache like this. Moving on now to playoff predictions. Now, this is the big part of the show. Which teams are a sure lock for the playoffs? Let's start with that scenario, Nick. Um, let's start with the AFC first. I'm going to start and go ahead and give you my teams that are locked to make the playoffs. All right, let's it's do funny. It. You said that the AFC was weaker, and that may be true, but to me, that makes it even more competitive. I only have three teams as a lock to make the playoffs for the AFC. Give me New England. No explanation needed. Tom Brady's still alive. Bill Belichick is still alive. This team is winning the AFC East. I don't care what anybody else says. This team is going to win the AFC East. The second team I have to lock is the Kansas City Chiefs. Again, Patrick Mahomes is still breathing. Andy Reid is still a good head coach. Tyreek Hill is going to be there for 
a good amount of games. Travis Kelsey is healthy. They have a good young defense. Honestly, this is your AFC East and your AFC West winners. And I'll even go as far to say, spoiler alert, this is your AFC Championship preview of Patriots and Chiefs. So who's my third team? My third team is actually the team that we were just talking about before, Melvin Gordon. It's the Los Angeles Chargers. I actually have them as a wild card team. I think they're going to be right up there with the Chiefs. I think they're going to battle nonstop. Phillip Rivers, to me, is a future Hall of Famer, whether he gets a ring or not. And when it's all said and done, even if Melvin Gordon doesn't play, this team has the depth to go and make the playoffs. Do they have the depth to go and win the Super Bowl? I don't know. I think they might need Melvin Gordon for that. But I do think they definitely make the playoffs. This is going to be a scenario where these two teams might be a game off from each other when it comes to the Chiefs and the Chargers. One is going to get the West. One is going to get the wild card. But I have the Chargers as a wild card team. Those are my three teams to make a lock for the AFC. How about you? All right, I'll take those three teams as my lock, and I'll add you one more. How about the Houston Texans? Folks, it's real simple at that point. What else is left in the division? As much as I like the Colts having a shot in this, this is Houston's division at that moment. So that, I think, is one that we can't forget about. Uh, you know, there's no, there's no Blake Bortles in Jacksonville right now. So, Houston should easily have this. We can't do a podcast without Blake Bortles, in it? Yeah, I don't know about all that. But, uh, <laughs> all right, man. I'm going to move on to the NFC now. My teams that are a lot to make the playoffs for the NFC, it's kind of funny. I'm kind of giving you my division winners right here because I think these four teams are definitely a lock. Philadelphia, I think the East is theirs. It's a two-team race between them and Dallas. And with all the issues that are going on with Ezekiel Elliott right now, I just don't know what kind of shape the Dallas Cowboys team is in. Philadelphia, to me, is the most complete team. Yes, Carson Wentz is a question mark in terms of his durability, but they backed themselves up nicely with having a guy like Josh McCowan. Yes, I think Josh McCowan is a good backup quarterback to have in case a Carson Wentz gets hurt. I like their running back game. I like their defense. Philadelphia is not going anywhere for a long time coming. Chicago. I like Chicago Bears. They took a huge step forward last year. Their defense is still superb to me. I think Trubisky is really making a lot of strides. He's making steps in the right direction and being a really good QB after getting off to a slow start. New Orleans. I'm, I'm probably the only guy who doesn't think the South is that strong as people make it out to be. I think the Panthers still have a ton of question marks. I still think the, the Falcons have a ton of question marks. We'll get to them in a second, too. Um, but to me, it's Drew Brees. It's Alvin Kamara. It's Michael Thomas. This team is loaded. Whether it's throwing the ball, running the ball, and defensively, to me, New Orleans is a strong, strong lock to make a Super Bowl run. And then last but not least, for the NFC, I have the Rams. I mean, yes, this team fell flat on their faces when it came to the Super Bowl last year, but how do you not take them again with that defense, with that offense? Yes, I know Todd Gurley's a giant question mark going into the year, but when it's all said and done, I'll take Sean McVay and the guy who pulls him out of the way out of anybody else in that division. All right, so I think I'm going to add a few different ones in there, but we'll start off with, as much as I don't want to put them in there, I have to. It's Philadelphia. Uh, I, I really don't know how I'm a Giants fan anymore. As much as I want to give Dallas its chance and say Dallas has got this division, Dallas is going to run through this team. Without Elliott, I do question a few different things for it, but I think Dallas overall is going to be very good. They're going to have to win the key games. They're going to have a little bit of a tougher schedule than Philadelphia, but overall, one of the key things for me 
is who's ever won the division the year prior doesn't win it the next year. And that's been like that's this case for the last eight years in the NFC East. Giants, no shot. Washington, no shot. Dallas, if I'm staying with those rules, no shot. Philadelphia is the only one that has a chance then. Uh, it's a weird way to put it, but Philadelphia for me is a lot at that point. Uh, going into the South, I'm like you. I only trust Atlanta and New Orleans, but New Orleans has always been the better team. New Orleans should be considered one of the best teams in the NFL right now. Uh, Drew Brees is not throwing the ball as much. I question whether that's going to hurt themselves in the playoffs. they got to use Alvin Kamara much more this year than they do have to use Latavius Murray. But overall, New Orleans should be fine. They should be an easy lock for the playoffs as well. Los Angeles, this is an easy one, even though with Todd Gurley hurt. And I do think Blake Bortles is going to come in there and steal Jared Goff's job. Twice we got him in. Twice we did it. <laughs> but that being said, the Rams should be an easy lock uh, at the end of the day. Both Los Angeles teams are just far greater than most of the teams in the NFL right now. Los Angeles should be considered still one of the top teams in the lead. Offensively, they may be on a little bit more of a decline. I think you can look at New England as case in point on how they played their ways are going on this and do question Todd Gurley's health and he's going to have to be a key factor for the Rams to be well, but overall they should be an easy lock for the postseason. And lastly, Seattle. Seattle's a lot because under Russell Wilson, they've never had a losing record. It's 8-8 eight and eight or better every year. Last year it was 10 wins. Yes, Jimmy Rappel was not there, and maybe they were able to bounce off that. And yes, the division may be a little bit tougher, but you still have a rookie quarterback in Kyler Murray that I don't trust the offense at all for them in Arizona. And San Francisco and Jimmy Garoppolo, they don't really seem to be in sync right now enough for me to buy into. That's four games you're playing right off the bat for Seattle. Seattle's schedule shouldn't be too bad at the end of the day. You still have Russell Wilson. They are going to be a run-heavy team. They still play eight games in Seattle. You gotta like the schedule at the end of the day. It's... Majority is going to be, you know, NFC South... AFC North, you run into teams like Cincinnati, you run into teams like Baltimore, Carolina, Tampa Bay, Atlanta, all teams that Seattle should easily be able to beat. And I know I'm naming a few good teams there, but the defense I still buy into, especially if some of these times Seattle has to travel, uh, some of these teams have to travel into uh, Seattle, this should be easy for them. Uh, There's not many tough games on the schedule for them. Early on in the year, uh, Seattle should be fine. Well, moving on now to which teams are on the cusp, meaning teams that could make the playoffs, um, have a really good shot, but we're not sold on them being a lock. So let's start with the AFC again for me. I thought we were going to do elimination ones quick. (laughs) No, those are going to be towards the end for us. Why not? Let's let's give them some suspense to think about it. Uh, (laughs) So teams that are on the cusp. For the AFC, I think the Jets and the Bills coming out of the East um, have a lot of potential. I mean, how can you not like the Jets right now, right? Sam Darnold going into his sophomore year. Le'Veon Bell, I'm excited to see what he's got after a year off to rest his body. Um, I think they they got Darnold, a lot of good receivers. 
Um, and to me, that's the key, right? You need to get a good young quarterback, some veteran wide receivers to go out there and help take the pressure off him. And then you go out there and you get a veteran uh, running back, too, to help take the pressure off of Sam Darnold. Uh, I think that's a good game plan right there. The reason why I don't have them as a lock, honestly, is because it's Darnold's sophomore year. Um, we've seen many times good quarterbacks you know, go dip down a little bit. Um, I think the Jets are a heavy favorite for a wild card, but I need to see Sam Darnold go out there and dominate in order for them to do that. And I need to see how Le'Veon Bell plays too, because as much as I'm excited to see Bell after a fresh year of him having off, I want to see if there's some rust there too. We never know. Um, so... It'll be interesting to watch the Jets. I never thought I'd say that <laughs> when it comes to being a New Yorker, right? But I think the Jets are the more must-watch team right now than the Giants are. And I think it's, this is the first time it's been that way uh, for a pretty long time. Um, Buffalo, I like Josh Allen. He's a very strong arm, good defense. And hey, like you said, if Melvin Gordon forces himself to take a trade or forces the Chargers to make a trade— Maybe Buffalo is the destination for Melvin Gordon, and all of a sudden you have an interesting dynamic there with Gordon and Dumb. But for the meantime, I have them on the cusp, but they could very be easily be missing the playoffs for me as well, too. Um, I have Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Cleveland all on the cusp. Why? Because I think this division is going to be wide open, honestly. I know, I know a lot of people are ready to give the Browns the division title and expecting them to go 16-0. But first of all, Baker Mayfield and OBJ have to shut up about the Giants. New York has moved on, Odell. We don't care anymore. We were sad when you got traded, but now we're glad you're gone. And honestly, by for you guys to keep talking about the Giants, it's kind of sad on your part. And then now Baker's talking about the Giants too. Whether your comments get taken out of context or not, why are you guys still talking about the New York Giants? Get over it. Focus on the season. I'm not convinced that this is going to work in Cleveland. There's so many egos there. There's only one football. There's a lot of mouths to feed with that football. And they get Kareem Hunt back in week eight. This team has every opportunity to be talented, Nick. But when it's all said and done, I've also seen very talented teams combust in front of our eyes. And this has a potential to be a giant explosion with all the egos in that locker room. So I'm not ready to crown Cleveland just yet. And Pittsburgh and and and, and, and Baltimore – they're always competitive. They always go back and forth. I wouldn't be surprised if one of these teams gets the division and the other one gets the wild card. But to me, I think there's definitely a lot of teams that could probably leapfrog them as well, too. I have Houston as on the cusp. You don't know what's happening with Clowney. J.J. Watt is never healthy for a full season. Uh, Deshaun Watson, you know, like you said, he only has one target right now, and that's DeAndre Hopkins. If teams double-team him, who's he throwing the football to? Lamar Miller's out for the year. There's a lot of holes on Houston, and yes, their chances did get better because Indianapolis is no longer in the equation, in my opinion, but Houston still has a lot of holes to fill. If anything, I think Indianapolis, with the Andrew Luck retiring, opens the door for this team. Yes, the Jacksonville Jaguars. To me, new QB and Nick Foles, I think them having a bad year last year was the thing they needed. Why? Because it knocks them down on their butt. After Jalen Ramsey talks all that crap, they get socked in the mouth. They miss the playoffs completely. And when you're a young team like Jacksonville and you make it all the way to the AFC Championship, you got cocky. You thought you were going to do it again. And then what? You were bounced out of the playoffs. You didn't make it at all. I wouldn't be surprised if this team is hungry and they want to get back to the playoffs. And plus, I like Nick Foles a lot better than I like a guy named Blake Bortles. Three times in the podcast. Uh, and last but not Hayden. least in the Hayden. <laughs> Last but not least, in the, in the, I have to include Denver. 
when it comes when it comes down to it. Um, I still like their defense. I think they have some pieces on offense. And to me, Joe Flacco is not as terrible as everybody makes him out to be. I think Joe Flacco is pretty good. So I think that I lean towards Denver as missing the playoffs more than in, on the cusp. But I think there is a shot that Denver could make the playoffs as a wild card team. They're definitely not winning their division. Um, but I'd be lying to myself if I didn't think Joe Flacco has an opportunity to make the playoffs with this team. Okay, AFC. Uh, so, I gave four teams playoff chance. Uh, my playoffs, right? I'm sure I already did that. So I got two yeah. spots left. Let's do this real easily. Uh, give me the Jets, for starters. Uh, frankly, care less about the team. You could tell me about Sam Darnold, and I agree he's going to be much better this year, and I really think he's going to progress in his sophomore season. They added Le'Veon Bell. They have a young core defense. That's all great. You know what I really liked about their team? Their schedule. Their furthest traveling this year is going to be to Cincinnati, Jacksonville, and Miami. Miami is their longest flight this year. They are all East Coast. They don't really go anywhere. That's what their schedule is for 16 games. You can't ask for anything easier. There's no London. There's no West Coast games. There's no West Coast and West Coast and East Coast. And there's nothing of that. The hardest thing for them this season is that they have a week four bye, and they'll have to play the rest of the season out. But overall, they're not traveling. They're not going to be tired from that part. They're staying East Coast the entire way. You have to love a schedule like that, especially late in the year when other teams are starting to get drained. From there, the only other three I'm really giving, as much as I want to give Indianapolis an on the cusp, it's going to be really tough to do so. If I've already named four teams in there, and I think Indianapolis has a little bit of little bit more of a challenge, and I'd love to see Indy try and make a fight out of it. Uh, Pittsburgh and Cleveland, obviously, one's got to win the division. The other may be the other, uh, the last wild card spot. Uh, and Baltimore. And the fact that I'm including Baltimore is not because I think Baltimore is going to do well. I think Baltimore's schedule is just highly weak at the end of the day. I, I don't really think the AFC North has that many challenging routes to have. Uh, Baltimore's, the only difference in this factor is Baltimore has to play Kansas City, while Pittsburgh will have to play San Diego, uh, Los Angeles, the Chargers, and then Cleveland has to play Denver. That's the real difference of the schedule at times for the AFC North, and that can be a big moment for them, but overall, the schedules for the AFC North is not that hard. All three teams, they are going to have to win at the end of the day, because that's what it takes. But simply said, their schedule is too easy, that you would expect the other teams to continuous winning as well. That doesn't mean I'm buying into Cleveland. That doesn't mean I'm buying into Pittsburgh. That doesn't mean I'm buying into Baltimore. I'm buying into their schedules, and that's why they're on the cusp for me. One's going to have to win the division. The other one, sure enough, their schedule will put them in a wild card spot. Moving on now to the NFC side of things for plays uh, teams that are on the cusp. Um, like I said, I think Philadelphia is winning the East, um, and I think Dallas is good enough to snag a playoff spot. Um, it really just depends what happens with Ezekiel Elliott. How many games is Alfred Morris actually playing for you 
is my question. Because if Alfred Morris is playing 16 games, I don't like Dallas's chances when it's all said and done. So, depending on what happens with Zeke, uh, how well Amari Cooper plays again. We know he played well when he came to Dallas last year. Can he keep that up, especially being Dak's only option out there? Um, to me, Dallas has all the tools to be a playoff team, to be a wild card team. The question is, can it actually come together? Green Bay. The reason why I have them as on the cusp is because when Aaron Rodgers is not there, when Aaron Rodgers is not healthy, this team sucks. And the question is, can Aaron Rodgers stay healthy? How many times have we seen Aaron Rodgers take a hit, and that's it. He's done for the season. So, Green Bay will always be on the cusp for me because I don't know if Aaron Rodgers is going to stay healthy during the season. Minnesota, um, Kirk Cousins, terrible year last year. There were times where they were arguing with each other with it on the sidelines. To me, that's not a good look. Kirk Cousins has a lot to prove this season in terms of being one of the game's top QBs. Um, so they're a team that's, for me, that's going to be on the cusp uh, in terms of the uh, North Division. Carolina, again, same thing. Has to do with the health of the QB. I like Christian McCaffrey. I like some of the receivers they just drafted in the draft. But to me, how healthy is Cam Newton going to be? Um, too similar to me in Green Bay. If Cam Newton is not on the field, if Aaron Rodgers is not on the field, these teams aren't going far. Uh, Atlanta, I have them as on the cusp because I think their head coach is really on the hot seat right now. Their defense was not as good last year as it was when they made their run to the Super Bowl. Uh, Matt Ryan needs to step it up. You know, Julio Jones, you know, he, it took him a while to get his first touchdown last year. Um, you know, I understand that teams are double teaming him and stuff, but he has to play better. He has to get more open as well, too. And Seattle, for me, is on the cusp because, again, like Carolina and like Green Bay, it all depends on Russell Wilson. And I love Russell Wilson, Nick. You know that. But Russell Wilson is essentially by himself. And it becomes the Russell Wilson show. And it becomes how can Russell Wilson carry this team on his back? I just worry that eventually he won't be able to carry Seattle like he usually does. Although, if you have to ask me, out of that group, who makes the playoffs as a wild card, since my four locks are basically the division winners, I think Seattle gets in. And you're definitely looking at um, Green Bay if Aaron Rodgers is healthy. the same thing I was for the AFC. Um, not going to take many teams. I took four for in the playoffs. So I'm going to start with Dallas. It's really hard for me not to pit Dallas. They were such a good team last season. Uh, you know, if they can control clock management, if Z comes back, if not, I still think this offense was extremely good. Uh, the defense the defense is so underrated. We talked about the offensive line. We talked about Zeke. We talked about Cooper, Dak. We do not talk about how the fact that the Dallas Cowboys were one of the best five defenses in the league last season, and their linemen are two of the best in the NFL. That, to me, is great to build off with. On top of that, if you can have clock management, yes, that requires Zeke or Pollard to have an amazing season, but... At the end of the day, if they're, you know, on all cylinders hiring, Dallas is one of those teams that are very, very tough to beat and can make a deep run. As far as, I'm going to give Atlanta a chance here. I really think they're going to have a better year than they did last season. Seven and nine is just hard to buy into, especially when we're coming off a year before when the NFC South Three teams made the playoffs, and then the year prior, 
only one team is over 500. Last year, only one team is over 500. Uh, Atlanta, I'd like to see a little bit more from. I can't really fully eliminate them. They're sort of like my Indianapolis type pit. I don't really buy into them, but I have to try to include them. And lastly, Chicago, Minnesota, Dream Bay. This is sort of like what I'm going to mention on the NFC, uh, AFC North side. Is the same for the NFC North. You know, there are three pretty good teams. Uh, a lot of them rely on certain factors. Chicago relies on mainly its defense. Uh, Dream Bay is going to be about Aaron Rodgers, and they have a young core on defense, but they've certainly improved defensively. And Minnesota, overall, they had just a big letdown of a season after having a great one so well the year prior. You know... Which one do I like to really take the division? I kind of like Green Bay, for that matter, or Minnesota. I'm not really buying as much into Chicago. I didn't buy into them that much last season. I, even at 12-4, and four, they still have to do it again for me to really believe in them. Uh, I think Minnesota and Green Bay have a better shot than Chicago. I know Chicago for you, Jose, was a guarantee. For me, they are a huge question mark. Uh, there's just not enough I buy into. That offense is not something I like. And with that, now we're going to move on. Obviously, if you're keeping track, we can do process of elimination. Uh, which teams need to look forward to next year? Um, I'm going to roll with the AFC first. I'm going to say Oakland, Tennessee, Cincinnati, Miami, and yes, Indianapolis. I am not as high as the Colt, on, on the Colts. As you are, Nick. I think Andrew Luck creates a huge hole for them. I need to see more out of Jacoby Brissett. Um, and I think, you know, Andrew Luck, you know, really takes them out of things here. I think it's, it's very unexpected from a football standpoint. And I think it really dampens their chances. Uh, Oakland, I already told you they're not making the playoffs. I don't think Jake Rudin has full confidence in uh, Derek Carr. Uh, I don't think Antonio Brown takes this team seriously. Their defense is still a mess. This team is trying to just build until they get to Oakland and I, I mean, until they get to Vegas. And I have no reason to believe that they're trying to compete here in Oakland. Tennessee, you know, the more I watch Marcus Mariota, the more I just don't believe in his skill set anymore. Um, you know, I question the Titans defense. I question their offense at times. And I just don't think Mariota is a big time QB who can put this team on his back when he needs to. Um, and Miami, like I said, I mean, I like Josh Rosen. I know you do, too. I don't think Josh Rosen gets the starting job this year. I think Fitzpatrick plays. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. I know the Miami Dolphins traded for Josh Rosen, but I would not be surprised if they tank for a guy like Tua um, in this year's draft class. For the NFC, I'm going with San Francisco, Arizona, Tampa Bay, Detroit, Washington, and of course, yes, our beloved Giants. Um, Jimmy G looks terrible this preseason. Um, and even if he does bounce back in the regular season, I still don't think they have enough on the offensive side of the ball. We're putting a lot of stock in a guy who looked good in five games before he got hurt. Um, so I think people still need to cool it on Jimmy G until he actually proves, one, he can play a full season, and two, he can actually help a team win and put a team on his back like guys like Wilson do and Brady does and Ben Roethlisberger does. Until then, I'm not crowning him as the second coming of Tom Brady just yet. Arizona? Like you said, I don't think they're quite there yet. They want to do this whole new offense, this high-paced offense, this college-style offense. I don't know if that's going to work in the NFL. And Kyler Murray still needs more offensive options when it's all said and done. Uh, Tampa Bay, 
I think the Jameis Winston era is going to come to an end pretty soon. Uh, I think if Winston doesn't get his act together under Bruce Arians, I find it very hard to believe that Winston's going to last much longer in Tampa Bay. Um, Detroit is Detroit. You know, besides Matthew Stafford, not a lot of good things going on over there. Washington, like I said, I like Case Keenum, but to me, they're not there yet. They're still missing a lot of pieces on offense. They traded away Deshaun Jackson. Um, so to me, when you trade away a wide receiver of that caliber, that doesn't send the right message to me that you're trying to win. And of course, the Giants. I think at some point, Daniel Jones does make his uh, a start this year. That doesn't mean that Eli Manning is done. Um, but for the Giants, it's really just about building towards the future. All right, so Miami. I would love to see Josh Rosen because I've just I've enjoyed watching him play. I think he's better than what most people are putting him down as. Uh, I think it's silly for Ryan Fitzpatrick to be considered. Uh, as much as we all love Fitzmagic, uh, there's no reason why Josh Rosen shouldn't be playing for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Buffalo. I love Josh Allen. He played extremely well, highly underrated. If you're in a deep fantasy league, and he's one of the guys I'm still considering, and I have Tom Brady. Uh, for the last six weeks or so of the NFL season last year, he was the number one fantasy quarterback. So there, there's so many different... He was he was top five every... He was phenomenal. Uh, and you have to build off that. But there's just not enough pieces around Buffalo for me to buy into. There's no receiving core. There's no tight end for him to throw to. There's really no running backs. McCoy hasn't looked even that good. Uh, so Buffalo just... It's Buffalo at the end of the day, and Josh Allen's just going to have to wait another year. Uh, Cincinnati, good luck. <laughs> uh, Jacksonville... You made the mistake of getting the wrong quarterback. Tennessee, they've just been middle of the ground every year. That doesn't mean this team's going to be out of it. That doesn't mean this team's going to be 6-10. and 10. They were 9-7 and seven last season. They're going to be an 8-8 eight and eight team, a 9-7 and seven team, a 7-9 and nine team, middle of the ground team. They're not going to get any better. That's, that's Tennessee for you. They, there's not much to buy into. I don't know how good Derrick Henry's going to be. But the perfect storm has to happen for Tennessee to actually improve enough to be a serious contender. And Oakland and Denver, as much as I'd like to say Denver's going to get better, it's really hard. Joe Flacco has been just awful. Awful, awful, awful. You love a guy like Blake Bortles, but you can't love a guy like Joe Flacco. I love Joe Flacco when he was a Raven, and I was supporting him, and I thought he should get paid because, you know, he was Joe Flacco. When the Ravens were really good, they were a defensive full team. And that's how the Ravens were. Uh, Joe Flacco, I think, is one big stat during those type of years where the Ravens were actually good was he had like the highest completion percentage of beyond 20 yards thrown. That's all they have right now. Uh, for Denver, whoop-de-doo. It's not going to work out great. you got to stick with Lindsey more than anything, and they want to go more against Lindsey and go with... Uh, Penny and like a two-headed horse on this one. Uh, I think Flacco it's going to work out well if you're trying to hit like Emmanuel Sanders for deep passes. But overall for Denver, there shouldn't be much success. And Oakland, uh, I'm sure you'll be entertaining this year. Uh, good, maybe not so much. Uh, Washington, the Giants, there's nothing I really have to say on that. For the Giants, I think you know half their faults could be if Washington succeeds. Arizona, like you, new offense. I don't think Cliff Kingsbury is that great. I think anybody that just has a day hanging out, 
uh, with the Rams is considered God right now, and it's silly because the only group of to- uh, coaching core that you should be going after is Andy Reid's. Andy Reid's core group is the only t- group that has success. Uh, but that being said, San Francisco's in the same boat. There's just not enough I trust. Jared, uh, Jared McKinnon went down again. He's going to start the season on the IR. I like Telvin Tolman, but Telvin Tolman should not be the starter. Matt Britta should be the starter, but Britta can never stay healthy. Garoppolo can never stay healthy. They don't have enough core aspects along the right receivers. And yes, there's Kittle, and Kittle is phenomenal. But if your only receiving core is your tight end, and your name is not Tom Brady, it's not going to turn out well always. Um, Detroit? Yeah. It's going to be fun for them. Uh, you know, Matthew Stafford's entertaining. He's going to be considered statistically one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. This is just going to be another year towards that. Uh, Tampa Bay, uh, I'd love to see Bruce Aries do well. Uh, nothing would make me happier. If there is a coach outside of, like, Bill Belichick, I root for It's Bruce Aries at the end of the day. Uh, he is just so entertaining, so much fun. Uh, and But I don't know how well this offense can do. They have no running game whatsoever. And Carolina. Uh, again, Carolina, that doesn't mean I think Carolina's going to be bad. I just think Carolina's going to be middle of the ground at best. Christian McCaffrey is amazing, but they're trying to limit Christian McCaffrey's carries possibly when this is the guy that you have to have constantly touching the ball. And if Cam Newton's hurt, this team is going to struggle immensely without him. They're not built without Cam Newton. They're not built without Christian McCaffrey. So it's going to be really tough to buy into Carolina as anything more than a middle-of-the-pack team. And a middle-of-the-pack team I'm not really considering right now. If you if your division's not open and you have another team in front of you, middle-of-the-pack is not what I'm going to look at. There you have it. Those are our teams that are a lock to make the playoffs, teams that are on the cusp, and teams that should really start strategizing for 2020-2021. So that brings us to our final segment of the show, which is the Super Bowl predictions. Yes, the way too early Super Bowl predictions. Nick, do you have one in mind so far? Uh, I'd like to lie and say yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that would be lying, of course. Uh, so, sure, give me uh, the Patriots. Because it's the Ooh, Patriots. The safe bet. Yeah, yeah, I'll <laughs> take the safe bet. And, um, God, the NFC sucks for this. <laughs> so, AFC uh, champs is what you're telling me? Yeah, so, I, I don't really know. For this one, this is the tough part. The safest bet tells you to take New Orleans because New Orleans just seems to have the most unlucky way of going out of the playoffs each year. And you can't do it three years in a row, can you? Huh? You want to see them try? I want to <laughs> see them try. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I guess New England and New Orleans. But New England's my only lock. The rest, nowhere near. So we're sort of on the same page here. I am also choosing New Orleans. Um, 
they can challenge pass interference calls now, right? So that won't be in their way. Um, I think they're the most complete team on the NFC. I think if I had to choose a backup to that, I think Philadelphia is a strong candidate. Um, but when it's all said and done, New Orleans is the most complete team in my eyes. And for the AFC, I'm actually going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs. I think the Chiefs finally get it done. I think they jump over that hurdle. I think Andy Reid finally beats Bill Belichick. And I think they go to the Super Bowl, setting up a Chiefs-New Orleans Super Bowl. And I think Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid get it done. I think they walk away with their first title as a pairing together. And like Callan Cowherd said on Fox Sports, I think this could be the beginning of a new dynasty between Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. So Nick has the Pats and the New Orleans, and I, I, I think you're choosing the Pats. Yeah. I'm going with every the Chiefs. Day week. Yeah. I'm going with the Chiefs and the Saints, and I'm choosing the Chiefs. So both of us have an AFC winner. Um, if you're listening to this episode, drop it in the comment section on Twitter. Who do you think is going to the Super Bowl? Who do you think is winning the entire thing? It's never too early to predict these kind of things. So with that being said, the show is just about over. Now brings us to Beardback. And Nick, what did you dig up today in Beardback? So there's not too much that happened on today. But I was able to pull out one good one. Uh, 1977, Nolan Ryan strikes out 300 batters for the fifth straight year. And then in 1987, Mike Smith passes Ted Williams and William McCovey with 522 home runs. That's that all is pretty impressive. Well, yeah. that is pretty impressive because I think Max Scherzer just struck out his 200th batter for the third straight season, which puts him also in elite company. Not many other guys have done that either. So I like how you're going with the strikeout theme there, yeah. uh, even if it was unintentional. <laughs> uh, the only other one that I thought was pretty decent, uh, but still I'll mention on it, uh, San Antonio shooting guard Manu Ginobili, Argentina, beats Italy 84-69 for the Olympic basketball gold medal in Athens. Star-studded USA team in 2004 took the bronze. boy, USA. Yeah. <laughs> So with that, that brings us to Dude and Dunce of the Week. And Nick, who is the Dude of the Week for you? So i got to go back a couple days in baseball, but not too far. Monday, August 26th, the Oakland Athletics won 19-4 over Kansas City. I know, it's Kansas City Royals. But Marcus Simeon did go two for six in the game with seven RBIs, a home run, and a triple. And that seven RBIs is going to be good enough for me to give him his first dude of the week. It was also very good enough for me for since I have him on my fantasy team. So I will take the seven RBIs this way, Mr. Simeon. It really helped me um, when it's all said and done. For me, done to the week, this decision was very easy. Indianapolis Colts fans, you guys are jerks. I don't need to explain it any further. You boot a man who was going to retire, a guy who cares about his team. I don't got to go into it anymore. Indianapolis Colts fans, dunce of the week. Maybe try and support your team and maybe you can get out of that hole. Or you might find yourself for the second consecutive week. You can join Odell Beckham Jr. and LeVar Ball. And I think Conor McGregor has my only three guys to be twice in one, twice on the show. Not sure. I kind of lost track at this point. But uh, I, th- I figured they're in like almost like their threefers. Yeah, they might just be in a dunce hall of fame at this point. But um, who knows, Colts fans? Maybe you'll join them soon there. Uh, soon enough. So, with that being said, that brings us to our final thoughts. Nick, you have anything you want to get off your chest before the show ends? Uh, let's see. The Mets are going to break our hearts again. That seems yeah, like a good it one. looks that way. 
Uh, the Mets lost to Chicago yet again. Uh, standings aren't getting better for the Mets. They're not out of it, though. But, Four games out with 30 games left to play. Yeah. Certainly not out of it, but it'd be nice if you can beat the team that's currently holding the spot that you don't play again for the rest of the year, right? Because you play Philly and you play D.C. You don't play the Cubs. You don't play the Brewers. And now you're falling behind teams you're not going to play anymore as you go into the month of September. Yeah, the Mets have now lost five in a row. Uh, this is going to be, you know, it's it's the breaking point. You, you want to make the playoffs. You can't do exactly what they're doing, losing the yeah. row. Then they they lose play. five in a row, yeah. and you feel good because DeGrom's pitching tomorrow, but then you remember the Mets don't score for DeGrom. So I'm no manager, Nick, and neither are you. But I think if Noah Syndergaard gives up six runs in what feels like a must-win game in the first inning, maybe you don't send him out for the second inning. And then maybe, since he gave up eight runs after two innings, maybe you don't send him back out there for the third. But what do I know? I'm just a guy who talks about sports. I know I don't have credentials like Mickey Calloway. Uh, for my final thought, uh, U.S. women's national team soccer player Carly Lloyd. I don't know if you've seen this, Nick, but she's nailing field goals in the 50-yard range, 40-yard range. She's gotten serious offers from teams to be their kicker in what could be game-changing. She said she's very serious, but she would keep an eye on the 2020-2021 season. Nick, we might have a legit shot of having a female player in the NFL thanks to soccer players' talent when it comes to kicking. You know, I'm all for it. I think as far as best opportunities for, you know, women to get into the NFL, uh, kicker is a great start for it. I think one day we'll see women athletes in uh, the MLB in the NHL, in the NFL, uh, we see a, a few right now. Yes, coaches with the NBA and such. Uh, so a- any opportunity is always, you know, a great sign to begin with. Yeah, and you know, it's a little difficult here because you don't want to tell people they can't do something, right? But like, it makes more sense for them to take on the role as kicker as opposed to like a QB, right? Because I don't want to see Khalil Mack charging down on, you know, and and, and tackling someone. But at the same time, you don't want to say they can't do it. I think this is game-changing, not just from a woman's point of view, but also from the fact that I think NFL teams, a light bulb probably went off in their head and was like, hey, why don't we ax soccer players if they want to be field goal kickers, right? Because that's what the MLB does, right? MLB, they pay guys who used to be track stars just to be pinch runners, right? Terrence Gore, um, I, 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 uh, Paulo Orlando, he played for Kansas City for a little bit. These are guys, you know, Paulo Orlando was a Brazilian track star, and the Royals threw money at him or said, hey, you want to play baseball? We'll make you play outfield. You're not very good, but you can run fast, and we'll use you for pinch running scenarios. I could see the NFL doing that with soccer players in general, male or female. They might inherit that saying, hey, these guys have strong legs. They can kick a ball very far. Why? Let's bring them in. What do we have to lose at this point? So. This could be game-changing, not just from a female standpoint, but from the fact that the NFL owners and NFL GMs might be like, hey, we might be able to steal some talented players away from another sport to help us out and win ballgames. So could be a crazy turn of events, and I'm all for it. Like you said, it would be cool to see. So with that being said, that's going to be it for us here on the podcast. Just want to remind you to check out everything else on the SND Podcast channel. There literally is a show for everything. You like wrestling? There is a show for that. You like other sports talk? check it out. 
the one thing I will say, and Nick, some sad news to report, is that you know the Fantasy Football League is back for the S&D Podcast channel. And for some reason, I don't know, you know who we're pissing off here, but we ended up with Andrew Luck and Lamar Miller on the same team. Yeah, we we didn't do well drafting. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think we might have to fire some of our assistant GMs on that end. But nonetheless, we'll deal with it. We'll drop some players and we'll do what we do best and try and scavenge through the uh, the waiver wire. So that'll be it for us. Thank you so much for tuning in to Saras on the Beard Podcast, episode 55. Once again, I'm Talking Beard, Jose Rivera. And I'm Nick Sarasso. And thank you so much for tuning in to episode 55 of Sarasso and the Beard. At Acuity Insurance, we believe the things you do for your business are heroic, and you deserve someone equally heroic to protect them. We put our all into covering your business so you can focus on the things you love most. That's the power of heart. Acuity Insurance, wholeheartedly for you.